Let's take our Bibles, if you have them, this morning on your device or in paper form. Go back to the book of 2 Corinthians chapter 8. We have a number of guests here today. I'd like to, to welcome the first-time guests first. Um, and if our ushers could grab a couple gift bags, we'd just like to not have you stand and be embarrassed, but maybe you or the person you came with uh, could raise your hand. We'd like to give you a gift this morning. Uh, would you just lift up your hand? Or the person who brought you real quickly, our ushers will find you from the back. We'd like to give you a gift up here in the middle. Right. You may have been given a gift on the way in. I hope you did. If not, uh, hope you get one on the way out. If your hand's not up now, we're honored to have you. Uh, inside that gift bag, you'll find a little card that's a prayer card for us. We'd love to have knowledge of your guests with, with us because we can pray for you. And um, we tell people as often as I possibly can, what you see is what you get. We're a pretty simple church. Uh, we seek to love the Lord, his word, love each other, and love souls in our community that need the forgiveness that only Jesus can offer. And uh, we'll keep it that simple. There are other guests that have been here before that are from out of town. And there are a lot of you today. It's a unique Sunday. It almost feels like a Christmas holiday or a Thanksgiving holiday. Uh, but the Stenoyans folks are here from Indiana. Uh, welcome to you. And I feel like probably it's best because there's so many today to have all of you that are here from out of town with friends, or just stand because I'm going to forget somebody because there's a lot of you. Um, let me see here. Randy and Melissa Page, good to have you both with us here today. Thank you very much. Many of you know the Pages. All right, stay standing. The Jenkses, uh, Jenks family, extended family, the Hearts. All right, you could all stay standing. Randy and Melissa, that's cool. Now you got to stand, Indiana people. Come on. There we go. Got a whole crew up for Holly's graduation. Um, in the back, Pastor Hobie's brother and wife and family are all there. And um, that's where pastors go when they're visiting out of town. They go to the back row. So, <laughs> so they don't get recognized, right? Or asked to pray, which I'm going to do. In it. No, I'm just kidding. All right. Good to have all of you. It's awesome to see you. Look forward to hugging you after church. Austin, it's good to have you back with us. I don't know how long you're here for, but... You're here for good? Great. Great. And uh, glad you're back safely as well as others who have been traveling. It's been a summer for traveling, hasn't it? So we're so thankful. Thank you for praying for uh, Lynn Dodd as well. She came through her knee surgery well. Uh, chronic pain is her reality. So pray that uh, God relieves her of her pain. Uh, she also asked that we pray for a number of thank you notes that she's going to be writing for her to her medical caretakers uh, to share the love of Jesus with them. Uh, so we want to make sure that we requested that. And of course, uh, Carrie praised the same thing uh, for sure. Um, where I didn't see, did crew stand? Oh, so you didn't stand crew before. Do you guys remember the Burks? Tiffany Burke and her children. Well, when Crew left us, he wasn't six foot ten. <laughs> uh, he, I walked into my house yesterday, had no idea he was going to be there, and, uh, and I said, "Who's this strange man in my house?" But Crew, great to see you, man. And uh, make sure you find him and give him a hug. And uh, it's just an honor to have you with us too. 
uh, today. So for all of you guests, we journey through one book of the Bible in a year on Sunday morning services. It's just our habit. And um, so I guess you could call us a a Bible-centered church, um, a Christ-centered church. Uh, That's about as complex as we get. And we do so in kind of a teaching-slash-preaching kind of way. That's what pastor teachers do. They shepherd, they preach, they teach through God's word. And that's the best way to feed the sheep, according to scripture. So the sheep are spiritually strengthened. So the sheep know from God's word how to become more like their savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, in a gradual way. And so the sheep can be made healthy inside the church. So as we go apart from one another into our community, that we can take the health of Christ to our community. So we're in the book of 2 Corinthians. This book has three major sections to it. Chapters 8 and 9 are the second section of three. Right? Chapters 8 and 9 have three major sections to this second portion of the second letter. We just two weeks ago dove into the second part of chapters 8 and 9. And that second part is all about character. Character. Character in relationship to what? It's the character of the heart of someone who knows Christ in relationship to sharing resources so the flock is cared for. So if the flock is cared for, the flock then together can take the gospel into their local community more effectively. Now, we learned something, I believe, of somewhat profound significance from God's word last week. These two chapters, many of you that grew up in churches that were Bible-preaching churches, were exclusively taught as chapters on how believers should share resources inside the local church for that local church's existence and gospel progress. But both these chapters have nothing to do with local church giving. You see, the sharing of resources here, not only by Corinth, and as we've already studied the Macedonian churches and others, was a collection taken up for a church that wasn't their own. That was the Jerusalem church that was experiencing all kinds of trauma and persecution because you have a city full of people that were expecting Jesus the king rather than Jesus the servant that would die on a cross for their sin they wanted a kingdom set up on earth and Jesus said I've got to go to the cross before I set up a kingdom because man's greatest need is not to rule and have dominion but to be forgiven so the Jerusalem church was in a lot, of, a lot of turmoil, a lot of trouble. We explained all that. You can go back and listen to all these sermons on our website. But this collection was taken by many churches for that church and not for their own. And so we went through, I think, 10 or so passages last week throughout the New Testament about something that's assumed in the New Testament. No writer of Scripture ever had to coerce, 
cajole or mandate that any member of their church share their resources for that church. So the assumption is when someone was saved by grace in Christ and they were freed up to share their resources, they were so amazed by what Christ gave by giving all of himself for them, they realized, Paul says it in 1 Corinthians 6, 19, you are bought with a price, therefore glorify God with your body and your spirit, which he owns now. Apparently believers in the New Testament got this principle of ownership that everything that they have, they don't own. Right? From their shovel in their shed, right? To their SUV in their garage, to the pillow upon which they put their head. They don't own any of it. It's all God's. And so these New Testament believers just thought, you know, everything that God's gifted me with is not mine, it's still his, so it needs to be used for his eternal purpose. Is that simple enough to understand? This principle of ownership, everything I have is all God's. I don't own the title deed to anything. Okay. Because he has given me everything of himself, forgiveness, eternal life, and so forth. So their, 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 their common denominator, their base level was profound. And every New Testament believer apparently just shared resources. And they shared enough resources not just to care for their own needs within their own flocks, the widows, the fatherless, the truly poor, and those who came into catastrophic circumstances in their lives to take care of their physical needs so their gospel testimony could exist in their community. They apparently did that and had enough left over to start taking care of other churches' needs too. Now to me, that's amazing grace. That's amazing grace. Let me just stop for a minute and tell you a little study that I did, oh, probably about five years ago. In Bible-believing churches in the United States, only 25% of their membership shares resources to care for the flock. 25% of their membership shares resources to care for their flock. So therefore, in Western churches, particularly United States churches that are Bible-believing churches, 75% of their membership doesn't even share resources with their own local body. So therefore, most churches aren't even healthy enough to even begin thinking about gathering for another church that has a much greater need than theirs. Now, for spirit-governed people, we truly appreciate the example of Christ as we already talked about here in, in verse 9 of chapter 8. Um, all of us are just going to be naturally, supernaturally just sharing resources to make sure needs are taken care of here so that we can have a strong gospel testimony and manner. And that should always be the perfunctory thing that just happens here. And by God's grace, that is increasing more and more. Because the focus is not just on what we can see. The focus is on what we can't see. We're here for an eternal purpose, right? We've heard that in baptism testimonies all through COVID and even up through last month, right? I worked with so-and-so or so-and-so. I was a patient of so-and-so. They were the light of Christ to me. They built a friendship with me. 
and they built that friendship with me in the community so I might know the forgiveness in Christ that they had. And I noticed something different in their life, and they told me it wasn't them, it was Jesus. And they turn their life over to Jesus, and then they get baptized, and they tell everyone here. That's why we exist. Go ye into all the world and make disciples. Christ's last words are our first command. That's pretty simple. Well, what Paul's saying here is the Macedonian example that he starts with in chapter 8 really becomes uh, somewhat of a, a model of not just giving to take care of their own needs so they could have a gospel testimony in the city of Thessalonica or the city of Philippi or the city of Berea, those Macedonian churches. That was easy for them. As a matter of fact, hold your finger here and go to 1 Thessalonians chapter 1. We'll highlight something here by way of review. We did way early in this, in this context. The Thessalonian church is that, one of those Macedonian churches, right? Remember, they gave their resources out of their poverty to help Jerusalem. And the assumption is they were not a very affluent church at all. This is probably below blue-collar work, work level as far as income. And they were still taking care of themselves, and they still were be able to have an influence beyond themselves. It's very clear here. In verse 6, Paul said, You became imitators of us and of the Lord, having received the word in much tribulation, with the joy of the Holy Spirit, so that you became an example of all the believers who are in Macedonia and Achaia. For the word of the Lord has sounded forth from you, not only in Macedonia and Achaia, but also in every place your faith towards God has gone forth, so that we have no need to say anything. For they themselves report about us what kind of a reception we had with you and how you turned to God from idols to serve the living and the true God. Remember, we went through all those texts last week, texts written to the church of Ephesus, texts written to the Philippi, um, um, multiple texts we went through last week. And the texts were how to utilize the funds that had been given, not the demand for funds to be given. That's the unique thing about all those texts we looked at. The assumption is 1 Corinthians 9, 1 Timothy 5, 17, Galatians 6, Philippians 4, all these passages were directions on how to make sure the flock was cared for, not direction to give so the gospel, could, so the flock could be healthy so the gospel could go out. And again, this particular offering is not even for, like, if we were a part of it, it wouldn't even be for Grace Church. This would be for a church in maybe Denver, Colorado, or Seattle, Washington, or Washington, D.C., but we were healthy enough to do it. We were healthy enough to do it. So this is how powerful grace is. Remember, this is all something that God's grace develops in our lives. Now, that's a little bit by way of review, general context. And so let's dive into where we left off last week. I want to start with an illustration. And I want you to hang on to this illustration because we're going to move away from the illustration and come back to it because we're going to dive into these, this particular word that's used twice in verses we began to study uh, last week. 2004, we're moving into uh, our house that we live in currently. I can remember uh, moving some furniture into the house uh, and 
my kids were along with us on this particular uh, venture of this move. And uh, we had a lot of help from a lot of you moving into this house. This is a particular hour or so where people weren't able to help. So we were just doing what we had to do. Um, I think our kids at that point were like eight, six, four, and two maybe. At 04, I don't know how to do math that quick in my head, but they're younger. Our daughter was two, our oldest I think was eight-ish. And uh, we had a piece of furniture to carry in. And um, I suppose I could have carried it in if I wanted to you know, risk hurting myself. Um, so I invited my kids to help me carry this piece of furniture. And so all five of us worked together. It was a little bit more awkward took a little longer, but I can remember, you know, Caleb's 38-year-old-ish, and you know, he's probably carrying about 30, 40 pounds of that piece of furniture. Mike is a little smaller, carrying a few pounds less. Noah's a little smaller than him, carrying a few pounds less. And I can remember Emma coming along, and, and she was probably carrying the least load, but by the squint on her face, it's like, you know, she's at the side of the piece of furniture, and boy, she's pulling her weight, right? She's really pulling her weight. And of course, I was probably carrying the most, and it was awkward. But we equally shared in the responsibility of carrying that piece of furniture according to our ability. One carried 75 pounds, the other one carried three pounds, but it was a hard work for all of us. Keep that illustration in mind as we move forward. I want to highlight again from last week a couple things that sharing is not so we understand what it is. Sharing doesn't change your demographic stature within the culture in which we live. But always know our sharing many times is not even close to bringing us to the point where it does change our demographic position in the culture. Therefore, we're not sharing to change the financial demographic of the person that we're giving to either. I think it's very, very important to remember. That's not what Paul's talking about here. This phrase does not teach that generous sharing is to be done to bring all parties involved into the same socioeconomic standing. The sharing discussed in the context and among the churches involved with this collection for the Jerusalem church doesn't change their economic position but ensures that there will be needs cared for enough for all, so there can be local church environments in each that are cared for unto the spread of the gospel. You see, we can't separate the caring for needs from gospel advancement. The Jerusalem church was struggling so much that they were facing closing their doors, so to speak, as we mentioned last week, and then gospel advancement in that city would be gone. So it's really about eternal purpose. We found out last week and the weeks before, if it wasn't for Jerusalem, where the first church was in existence in history, that all these churches that are gathering this collection for them would never exist. So this is an important collection for these now hurting, impoverished, 
persecuted saints in this original city where the church began. So certainly, we share back to these precious people that advanced the beautiful message and ministry of the Lord Jesus Christ to us. That's easy, but we're not doing that at the expense of us. Again, the understanding is the us is cared for. That's easy. We're able to do above and beyond now. And further clarification is given in the verses that we began studying last week in verse 14. Would you read that with me here? At this present time, at this present time, your abundance being supplied for their needs so that their abundance also may become a supply for your need that there may be equality. Verse 15, as it is written, he who gathered much did not have too much and he who gathered little had no lack. And we'll look at that in a little bit as an Old Testament quote from Exodus chapter 16. That last word Okay, of verse 14 is the second time that word's mentioned. If you go back and read the previous couple of verses to it, this word equality, and we're going to discuss that. And there's a reason why we shared again that illustration first as we continued this morning. Okay, so at this present time, your abundance, Corinth, is going to be a supply, not for your need, Corinth, but for the need of Jerusalem. Because someday the economic tables might be turned and they may be the ones with abundance and you might be the one in need and they might be sharing to your need. All Paul is saying here is that this is what God's grace does for people that have an ability to help churches that have an ability to help other churches. We already went through James 2 last week. We already went through 1 John 2 last week. Right? Other texts that taught us very, very quickly that tied right to our faith is that if we see a brother that has need among us and it's within our capability to care for that need and we don't, then we have no assurance. We really don't have a faith because faith without works is dead. That was just about the distribution of that collective resources that have been given. Again, the resources were being given. But this is how they're to be given. Right? So the nature and function of equality here is layered as we began to stu study last week. The equality is in the activity of sharing resources according to what one has in order to advance the gospel. This is the first layer of equality. Everyone does their part in resource sharing so there can be gospel advancement. There's no equalizing, as we said, of financial demographics. I think this is important time now in today's uh, sermon to briefly review and continue to explain the nature of the word equality that we must understand something about equality with God, with our creator. Now hang on with me here. We're going to dig into some weeds with some details. Those of you that have recently come to Christ, you may be sitting with someone that led you to Christ. Reach over and hold their hand when you have struggle understanding and just say, will you go back this week and listen to this sermon with me? All right? That's what beautiful thing about having someone to spiritually mentor you or to be mentored. Go back and listen to it again. All right? I'll try to make it as simple to understand as possible. Remember, we're, we're taking this word equality 
And we're going to talk about some theology now about what it is and then some philosophy and then some practice of how this sharing of resources uh, was done fairly, was done honestly, with character. Remember, that's the section here, with character and with integrity. The first century ear would have heard the word equality. It's the Greek word isosthes. We're going to go somewhere with that. And it just means fairness. Fairness. And fairness at the first level was everyone knowing responsibility amidst diversity while enjoying unity at the same time. Now, it's going to take a bit to fully explain, so hang on tight. Paul, I believe here, is really drawing a spiritual analogy to the Godhead first, God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. The Godhead would be our primary example of fairness or equality. Three equal persons, three varied duties, all three enjoying the same essence. So there's diversity within a unity of personhood. God then creates man in his image. God is no respecter of persons. We know that. He's given every person ever conceived a moral, rational, personal, and spiritual existence. All of you. Every man that's ever stepped foot on the earth. In their mother's womb, they were given this moral, rational, personal, and spiritual existence as God caused their conception. Along with this existence, God has gifted each person with certain skills and abilities to thrive in any culture in which they live. As a matter of fact, for those who live with disabilities, people that don't often work together to make sure that those people can even function within their culture. And that's a good thing. He skilled each person with equal personhood, individual responsibilities according to their skill set, and personal abilities to carry out those responsibilities. And within God's creation of mankind, there was to be a unity of purpose that was filled with all kinds of diversity. Now think about God's world before sin hit it. Was it beautifully one in spiritual purpose? Absolutely. I mean, that was the theocracy of all theocracies, right? Rule by God, the beauty of the worship of the beauty of God, the literal walking with God in the Garden of Eden in a sinless environment, the earth untouched by sin. Wow. Someday we'll experience that. When the Lord Jesus comes and God recreates the heaven and the earth and we'll know that reality but for now we don't but that's the way it was Adam was different than Eve in biology but same in purpose of existence they both were given different tasks within that garden of Eden to fulfill those tasks unto one purpose. They were both equally made in God's image. It's a spiritual equality. And then they were skilled 
with diverse things by God's hand. Now, we all know this context that we're in is about sharing and giving for the progress of the gospel, but this is how the Corinthian believer would have heard at first the word fairness or equality. People had a role in their cultures, and it was a God-given role to be sure, and they had a role within their church culture as a result of having a role being created in God's image and skilled to function in their secular culture. Those who didn't personally know Christ would have been very familiar with this term as well in their time. They would have been in a town, in a city, in a culture. They would have been born into that culture. They would have had a heritage in that culture. And they would have longed to thrive and do their part thriving in that culture. But the Apostle Paul brings it into the spiritual realm here that we'll continue to discuss as we go forward. So all of them would have understood diversity of responsibility with an equal nature of unity of personhood. Now, this old thing the Bible calls sin affects everything. But it didn't change how God created. Sin just affected what God created as to its function. Romans 8 teaches that God created everything we see and that creation is in trouble and it's groaning because of sin, the effects of sin, not just us as humans, but also the created realm. There's a unity of creations, all created by the same God. But all of us, with a short glance, can see many things that he made. Trees, flowers, clouds, stars are the light to rule by night, and the sun to rule, the light to rule by day. All different things that he made. All of these things created by one person. The diversity and diversibility of that, uh, the diversibility of that which he created allows the creation to function in unity of purpose with each thing created performing its responsibility. Trees and plants put necessary oxygen into our atmosphere. Plants and trees produce fruit, veggies to eat, even worms have their purpose, right? Bringing nutrition to the soil in their own way. And we all love and appreciate the aloe plant this time of year, don't we? Right? Cut open that out. We all know God created aloe for sunburn. And we're so thankful for that. Everything God created works symbiotically unto order and to function. But again... Romans 8 teaches that this creation groans because of the effects of man's sin on her. Man groans because of the effects of sin. This equilibrium, this fairness of purpose of existence gained an enemy with sin. Sin loves to attempt to alter that which God created as to its nature and as to its purpose. And it has, hasn't it? All of creation is still of God both what we see and who we are. But sin touches everything and everyone created with its own intentions. And its own intentions are anti-fairness and anti-equilibrium, anti-balance, anti-isthostes. But God is all-powerful. It's still his creation. We are all still created by him, though everything is affected by this enemy. 
And so the God of creation offers salvation to all who have been affected by this enemy of fairness and equilibrium. The eternal Son of God, Jesus Christ, became a man. This was his role of responsibility as he existed eternally as God. The Son of God was faithful to the decrees of his Father, and he would submit to the will of the Father to be born as a man, be called Jesus, and he would come to save men from this enemy called sin. And his offer of salvation is free and fair to all because of the offer of salvation comes from our sinless creator who is no respecter of persons. For God so loved the world that he gave his only unique son, right? That whoever would believe in him would not perish but have everlasting life. That which was lost, that which lost understanding of fairness and equality of personhood and personal responsibility because of sin was now offered a way back to a right relationship with the creator. This offer came from God, again, in the person of Jesus Christ. He came to die for my sin, for your sin, for the transgressions of the whole world. Everyone broken by sin now has the opportunity to be restored in peace in their soul because of what Christ offers you. Soul peace. Not as the world offers, John tells us, but only God, as God can offer peace. Now every soul that trusts Christ has an opportunity to know peace in their hearts as they exist in a world that is groaning because it's affected by sin. And those who know God through Christ and know his soul peace, we have a responsibility. It's a unity of responsibility. It's a fair and equal responsibility. It's to share the love of God in Christ with every soul who needs him. God in time will restore all society to his equilibrium, to his fairness. We read about that in Micah chapter 4, verses 1 through 7 this morning. For now, this is what we seek to do and to be. Think of this too if you're a Christian, please. Think of how God has offered fairness, even in the church, as to responsibility. God equally indwells each believer with the Holy Spirit. Just like we've seen the Father and the Son, the Holy Spirit is God by nature and a person with unique responsibilities that he carries out with eternal purpose. The Holy Spirit, the Bible says, is in the world, convicting the world and of sin and of righteousness and of judgment to come. But most of you here this morning heard of Christ and his offer for soul peace and forgiveness of sin. You turned your life over to him in repentance from sin and placed your faith in him alone for your salvation. Well, that was the Holy Spirit who helped you understand Christ. What happens then? The Holy Spirit equips each of his children with spiritual adoption papers. John 1, 12. For as many as received Christ, to them gave he the authority to become the children of God. Along with this childhood is given some abilities and responsibilities. Each of you has been equally given at least one spiritual gift by the Holy Spirit. So while we all enjoy childhood or familyhood in Christ, we all have spiritual abilities given that allow us to responsibly function within the family of God. So within the church, God gives equal opportunity for each saint to serve under God's cause of encouraging each other, bringing health to each other spiritually, caring for each other's needs with our resources so that we can do what? Go into all the world and make disciples right here in Jerusalem. We learn from God's person in created order that there is diversity 
and unity of purpose, both in the world and in his church. There's more to say on this from the Bible, but we need to see how this reality of fairness or equality fits into the context of sharing and giving. Well, in this realm of sharing giving, there's uniformity, but there's also diversity of ability. Uniformity, the fairness is in the equality of everyone doing their part, but there's diverse abilities. Since the word equality is used twice here, it does become somewhat of a focus. I don't think there's been another time in my life where the word equality has been used as it has so many times in the past two years. One of the things we have to caution ourselves with here when studying the Bible is to make sure that we don't take what an English word means exclusively in our culture and apply it back into a first century culture. The context of this passage was written over 2,000 years ago and has a determined meaning to it. So even though this word is used in the context of resource sharing, Paul is not pursuing some sort of socioeconomic agenda or sociopolitical agenda in the church of Corinth or in any church. As a matter of fact, the Greek word here is actually a word that means, um, as we've said, fairness or equilibrium or balance. Paul is saying here, integrity in sharing includes everybody who is created, then saved in Christ, doing their individual responsibility according to their ability to help in sharing so the gospel can go forward. So it's a good time for us to go back to my family story on moving a piece of furniture. We all had unity of purpose. We had a unity of personhood. We all had various abilities according to what God had given us at that time. And we all strained to make sure that purpose was fulfilled. Some could carry 75 pounds. Some could carry three. But the effort and purpose was unified. That piece of furniture made it into the house. And we did it together. Only trashing one wall. Paul's just saying in the church, we have a unity of personhood. We're all made in the image of God. In Christ, we have a unity of familyhood. And by the Holy Spirit, we have abilities to function within the family unto a purpose. That's isosthenes. That's fairness. That's equality. That's the equilibrium. equilibrium. Unity, but diversity in unity. God sets the purpose and the Son and the Spirit, along with the family of God, with these varying abilities and responsibilities, work together towards God's purpose. Let's dive a little deeper into this word of equality for a moment. Some of you may have studied the science of isostasy or isostasy. Have you ever heard of that? Right? It's, it's, it's really a geological science. Let me read you a definition of isostasy is the rising or settling of a portion of the Earth's lithosphere that occurs, translate that, Denver, right? Right, 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 you got to spell it out, right? I hesitated to give this definition because I knew you'd probably brain cramp a little bit. Here, all right. Bless your hearts. All right, good. 
that occurs when a weight is removed or added in order to maintain equilibrium between buoyancy forces that push the lithosphere upward and gravity forces that pull the lithosphere downward. Greenland is an example. Hang on with me here. Greenland landmass is mostly below sea level because of the weight of the ice cap that covers the island. If that ice cap was to melt, then the elevation of that island would increase. It's these forces of nature equally doing their thing to bring about a balance. To bring about a balance. So we've looked at it by simple definition, theological understanding, local church understanding, personal understanding, and now even a geological understanding. So we have this alleviation of pressure by one force so other forces can exist in balance. So in the furniture moving story, again, or even in this illustration, there's diversity of ability but a balance of effort of forces unto unity of purpose. If we go back to what we studied the last time we were together, Paul said everybody shares according to their ability. You cannot share what you don't have. Remember that? Emma, who was two when moving the piece of furniture, couldn't carry 50 pounds of that piece of furniture. But she did according to what she had. It's a balance of effort and equilibrium according to ability. It's not redistribution. It's not reallocation. It's not coercion. And it's certainly not deception. It's fairness. It's fairness. So in the context of sharing, one author said this. It's like Paul saying, and you that have more than you need, provide for those that have less than they need. That's the beautiful reality of life in the family of God. It's not to make life hard on you, and it's not to make life easy on them. It's just to bring some balance. That's all. I'm going to reread a portion of that statement. You that have more than you need, provide for those who have less than they want. Is that what I said? No. Less than they need. Again, this is not to make the poor rich or the rich poor. It's a balance of sharing according to the ability to make sure everyone's needs are met so the gospel can go forward together. Listen, friends, the Great Commission is given to every believer, isn't it? None of you would say here, go into the world and make disciples was a responsibility just given to the, to the pastors, right? None of you would say that. All of you are included in that Great Commission. Like, everyone included is included in the advance of the gospel. Men, women, children. Men, women, children, though, have needs, physical needs. The people of the church have needs. If those needs aren't met, then the family can't do gospel work together. That's not rocket science. The balance of the spread of the gospel is owned by all. The balance of the caring for the needs of all is shared by all according to what they can do, not according to what they can't. Again, this is not a redistribution of wealth. It's not an equality 
as our culture views equality these days on so many levels. It's simply balance of sharing according to what one has and not according to what they don't. If this is done, and it is being done here at Grace Church, praise God, on so many levels, I know the gospel will continue to advance from here like never before. So if we're still a little foggy on what Paul is teaching here, he offers one final Old Testament example for clarification as we close this morning. Look at verse 15. As it is written, he who gathered much did not have too much, but he who gathered little had no lack. This is taken from Exodus 16. I would encourage you on your own, if you want to write in the margin of your Bible, go back and read Exodus 16, verse 16, 17, and 18. For a little fuller context. I'll explain what's going on here. The people in the wilderness, in their wilderness wandering, were hungry for all kinds of reasons. God supplied them manna from heaven. The Hebrew word manna simply means what is it? No one knew. God just said, I'm going to send it. You go out and gather it, right, and eat it. And eat it fast because it spoils quick. As a matter of fact, right, it would spoil overnight and wouldn't even be able to be eaten the next morning. So he said, go out and gather according to your ability. So, we'll take these four ladies sitting up here in the front row, all of whom I know are over 30. <laughs> right? And let's say that they tented together in the nation of Israel. Right? And they were hungry. But each tent was responsible to gather for itself. So these four ladies go out, right? And they move at their own varied paces. And they're gathering as much as they can for their tent. So we have the Richards family. They're tenting as a family. They have more than them, and they're all by average age under 30. God tells them, go out and gather. They move a little faster, right? The three boys, I'm sure, are driving the food bill up, so they're going to move even faster because they're like super, super hungry, right? And so they're just crazy out there. They're just gathering up by armfuls. Whatever this what is it is, it's something to eat that God sent overnight, basket, 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 basket. So they take into their tent, right, this immense amount of manna. And their mom looks at it and goes, where are we going to put all that? It's going to spoil by morning. We can't eat all of that. Tonight, and the boys are saying, yeah, just watch me, right? <laughs> right? right? Two tenths over are these four sweet ladies. They moved about a third the pace as these kids did. And they come in, and they look at their amount, and there's like, there's not even enough for us for dinner tonight. How are we even going to make it the morning? Nothing's going to spoil in our tent. So Paul uses this Old Testament example to say this. They have above their need. They're fine. They have below their need. Now, you share with their need, and I know you would. 
because it's all going to spoil by morning anyway. Kind of reminds me a lot of 1 Timothy chapter 6, if you want to write that in the margin of your Bible, next to Exodus 16 and 2 Corinthians 8, where Paul talks about the fleeting nature of wealth and riches. You can seek after it all you want, but it's just going to burn up, and it's going to go away a whole lot quicker than you gained it. So don't make your focus on being rich. In a New Testament context, God's not sending manna from heaven anymore. There's no need for that. All of us live in a culture where everyone in this auditorium, regardless of your economic status, has actually more than you need. The Bible defines need as what? Food, clothing, and a roof. Now, quite frankly, I have a barn in my backyard. I've had that barn for over 20 years. Put a great paint on it. I've only painted it once. I could actually move my family into that barn. It would be really, really tight. But if we all had two pairs of clothes and we each had a little cot to sleep on and those cots were stacked and we went out and gathered our own food every day, we actually could make it in that shed. People in the world have it worse than that, don't they? Refugees, homeless, legitimately homeless. We can certainly survive in a nicely painted shed. I mean, I even have a kerosene heater in there, right? I could even heat the place. Food, clothing, shelter. Everyone, there's no one in here living in the shed in your backyard. Some of you men might have a man cave back there where you watch Monday night football and Saturday football and Sunday afternoon football and Thursday night football and your wife thinks you live there. Right? But no one's really living in your shed. But if you were, and I wasn't, and I had way more than food, clothing, and shelter, it's incumbent upon me to make sure I share my responsibility according to my ability to make sure your needs are met. That's what happens in the flock. It doesn't change my socioeconomic status because I have way more than I need. But this is helping people who aren't even meeting their needs. 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 Not once. Food, clothing, shelter. Why? Because I do the gospel with these four ladies. These four ladies can't go hungry night after night after night and live physically, let alone join in a great commissioned adventure. So why am I actually sharing with them? It's not to be a good philanthropist or a good neighbor. All those things are fine, I suppose, but this is unto a much mightier purpose. This is to serve the living and true God and his mandate on us to do the Great Commission. Now, full circle back to how we started. Corinth isn't being told to share to make sure the needs of their flock are being met because why? They're already doing it. I don't know that we're fully there yet at Grace, but we're growing because there's a number here that still don't comprehend the content of this context. That it's just natural for you to share resources with the local church for gospel purposes so that we can start helping other churches that don't even have their needs met so they can join us in the gospel purpose. 
So some of us have to get started. You can come up with all your reasons why you don't. We've already covered no one's living out of a shed. We've already covered last time we met together people in impoverished third world countries when they gathered together bringing eggs from their chicken coops and bringing rice from their sacks in their pockets and as the offering plate goes by dropping rice and eggs so the flock can be cared for. Why? That's the story for my friend Nathan Ida who's recovering from COVID, praise God, uh, in India and Sam John. Why do they do it? Why drop an egg? Why drop some rice in an offering plate? Because there's people in the room that don't have food. And if they don't have food, they can't exist. And why are they in existence? I don't want to be overly redundant, folks, but in our westernized culture, we are just lavished. We are lathered with. We are soaked up with so many things we don't even need. We can't even begin to comprehend this context. If we would share out of our abundance to the need of the flock, the gospel effort would be sustained here for generations. And we would be able to help many other churches exist under the same cause. It's all about spiritual things, not about material things. It's all about that. So if you needed further clarification, here's an Old Testament example of exactly what Paul's trying to say. And aren't you glad he's so clear? Aren't you glad? It just makes it so simple, doesn't it? And I know we dove into the weeds of theology and philosophy and practice. We'll just finish with the practice. Everyone needs to do your part. You hear that a lot in the last couple years. But make it a local church context within this context. And if you're not, you need to ask yourself the question, why? And it could be because you're unfamiliar with how grace operates. I'm a new married couple, Pastor Tim. I've got a college bill. I got a car payment. I got a house payment now, first time in my life. I got a grocery bill. My parents took care of that before. I got this. I got this lawnmower that I picked up on the side of the road that needs a spark plug and a tune up. I got a trimmer now. It broke. Dude, you have a lawnmower. You have a trimmer. You have a house that's got a roof that's actually got 30-year warrantied shingles on it. See my point? We're so blessed beyond anything we could imagine. Certainly we can do something for the cause of the gospel. And just do it together. Do it together. We are healthy enough here at Grace. Praise God. We are healthy enough here at Grace where we look to take care of each other's needs. Boom, because we pretty much all know we're here to reach others for Jesus. Praise God. And we have even a little bit more left over to help other churches, don't we? Remember the Acts 1-8 offering every Christmas? Right? All those churches we put up here and we show you that you've helped. Praise God. That's natural, by the way. Unfortunately for a lot of churches, that's not. They're still struggling to make sure their own needs are taken care of. But here, no. We still could do much, much more. If that little remnant would decide to start sharing, 
what's not yours, what's God's for God's purpose, right? And let God break the bread of that obedience. You just obey. Don't wait to start until your circumstances change. Remember way back? Our sharing isn't based on our circumstances. If it was a none of us would share. Just trust God and obey. There's just really no other way. But keep your mind set on that eternal why as we do so. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we love you. We thank you so much for the simplicity of this text. It's not within my brain capacity, Lord, to clearly explicate the depth and breadth of it. Um, I did it this morning because that's my responsibility. I know others could probably do it much better. But for what we're able, we're able to understand and what we were able to apply, I pray that everyone here that knows Jesus would know how much he's offered to them and what he's given us is already his to be given back to him for his purpose. And I pray that everyone here, I don't even think that would be revival, Lord. I think that would be normal, according to your word, that everyone here would share according to their ability unto eternal purpose. Help me, Lord, as pastor here with the other pastors and leaders to make our eternal purpose, our eternal why, as clear as ever, as obvious as ever, So that sharing and giving would be that which is the most simple thing we do as we labor together as co-laborers in the gospel. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.